good is Australia? There's fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's cold beans. You wouldn't believe it. A goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to another edition of News from the Trough, the show in the Batuta Advocates Decode political podcast series where we wrap up the news from the Trough. My name is Wendell Harsey and joining me from a IBIS, I think it is this time down in Canberra, is our crack political correspondent, Les Burley. How are you going? I'm so glad to be back at school. Yeah, school school is back. back. Canberra is back. Yep. Look, I did find a mouldy apple or two at the bottom of my backpack that mm-hmm. I discarded ceremoniously at the end of last session, but yep. otherwise, I'm ready to go. You got a fresh new pair of black sneakers? Yeah, mum bought me a new pair of shoes. Nice. My uniform, like my new shirt, doesn't quite fit yet, but yep. I'm going to grow into it. Yeah, so yeah, it's perfect. Be okay. yeah, get a few yeah. stains on there that'll really annoy mum. Yeah. Now, as you just mentioned, school is back. Parliament is back. Uh, it's been a nice couple of weeks. Uh, new year. It's got a new year feel to it. Even though it's the middle it of the year and it's just a new term, it's got a real new year feel to it, doesn't it, Liz? Yeah. New year, new me, new yep. PM, yep. new Albanese. Yeah, a few new classmates too. Interesting seeing like the little dynamics there. You've got like... Mm. The large group of new kids, obviously like the Teals, they're probably like the cooler new kids. And and they've yeah, actually come at the yeah. same time that they've kind of like they've got their obviously their own little clique going on. You know what I mean? Like they don't have to jump in with anybody else. Yeah, they've come from the private school down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've yeah. all they've all decided like actually fuck it. We don't want to do that. We want to just go to like the local public school. And now they're just trying to figure out like, do they want to side with anyone? Or are they just gonna do their own kind of thing? You got the new hot guy, David. David Pocock, who like no one can quite get a read on, you know what I mean? He's like hot guy, but he's also he's not just the stereotypical hot guy footy jock mm, kind of thing. Got so a like, bit of mystery. Yeah, so he's kind of sitting with like the you know the different kind of a bit more alternative group, but he hasn't quite figured out where it all sits. So yeah, that's all ahead of us over the next couple of years, figuring out how all that goes. New teacher, the speaker, he seems to be on top of things. We'll talk about him uh, mm, in a little bit, mm-hmm. but yeah, generally we're just gonna wrap up what's happened over the first uh, couple of weeks of the new school term. And we're going to talk about the big module or the big talking point, the big issue out of the first couple of weeks, which is Anthony Albanese, the Prime Minister, addressing the Uluru Statement from the heart and putting forward calls for a referendum. So we're going to talk about that. But um, before we get into all of that chat, we have our customary clanger or banger of the week, Leslie Burley. Ew. Yeah, so this clanger or banger comes from uh, newcomer Monique Ryan, mm. who in the middle of question time, she's delivering a speech, you know, she's talking about mm. COVID and how bad it is, yep. and she stops mid-speech and yells at someone, put your mask back on. Can the minister please explain how he proposes to manage the oncoming national significant burden of disability and chronic illness? Put your masks on. From repeated infection. Order. 
from repeat infection with COVID-19. Yes. It is a huge relief teacher moment. It's someone who's new into the room, is a bit shaken by something that's happened they weren't expecting, and they've (laughs) called it out mid-sentence. And just gone, like gone all in on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, zero to 100. Absolute relief teacher moment. And everyone's like, yeah. You know, we've got yeah. a round of up here. In fairness, uh, Dr. Monique Ryan, and not is not one of an those. actual doctor. Yeah, an actual doctor, not a different type of doctor that we see. I think a lot of work in neuroscience and pediatrics as well. So, you know, if a, if an actual doctor is telling you to put your mask on, you probably do adhere to that one. Uh, clanger or banger for you? Look, I think it was a banger just in the pure delivery of Mm. the thing. You Mm -hmm. know, I love a relief teacher moment. People are going to be talking about that at lunchtime. Kids are going to be yelling in at one another like in mimicry later. No one's going to take their mask off around her unless it is an intentional threat. So I think she's really set the tone there. Yeah, fair. Mind you, the kids do know that they've got her now. You know what I mean? Like oh, they, yeah, that's they, it. they can push buttons and they can get it wound up. So that's one thing there. Poll check, Les. First sets of polls have come out. Absolutely. Big shifts in the polls this week. So ALP have come out on top. No surprises there. Uh, 56 points to LNP's 44. Yep. So they've actually increased their margin by 3.1 points there. But the big news, the big one, is that the preferred PM, so Albanese versus Dutton now, when obviously it used to be Morrison. So Albanese is 59 points preferred PM compared to Dutton's 25. Yeah, so Albanese's points. gone up 17 points in preferred PM and he's yeah. gone up 20 points in his approval rating in the first yeah. two weeks. So his approval rating is 61 points at the moment, which is significantly high. And look, we almost always see a jump post-election. This yeah. is a thing that happens pretty much every election. But this jump is pretty significant. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, it's it's really interesting to see. The actual first thing I thought when I saw that he'd gone up 20 points I kind of forgot the approval ratings before the election. I was like, fuck, yeah. he's got like 20 points. He must be sitting on like like a 75 or 80, 80 yeah, uh, yeah. percent approval rating. 61. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> that was that was actually quite low. That was not yeah, a particularly high so approval rating going into the election. The final poll before the election had Albanese and Morrison right on that. Like they were fluctuating between yeah. like 41, 42 yeah. Approval and then the disapproval for uh, Morrison was going up as well. So it wasn't really an election of who do we like more as to like who do we hate less. And so now, uh, you know, as the air has cleared, these points have shifted somewhat in Albanese's favour. Yeah, and there hasn't been any scandals in two weeks, which is kind of a, it's a weird new reality, but I guess it yeah it kind of helps with these approval ratings. Now we'll get into what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. There actually has been a fair bit going on, like lots of stuff coming out each day. The major focus for the last week or so has been, as we said, addressing the Uluru statement from the heart, and we're going to touch on that shortly. But we'll just quickly go through a bit of an around the grounds, a bit of a score check, just touching in on the different things that have happened. Everyone's back down in Canberra, a couple of weeks, then they fuck off again, do whatever it is they do for the rest of their time. The person who says what everyone is thinking, but only 5% of people actually vote for, Pauline Hansen, she got her work out of the way nice and 
early. Yep. She walked out of the acknowledgement of country. Classic vintage Pauline Hanson, you could say. I'm warning people, this is divisive. Order. We are one nation, one people, one flag. Death, taxes, reality stars hitting out at producers after being kicked off the show. Footy players giving full credit to the boys and Pauline Hanson attempting the cheapest, laziest gag to try and stay relevant for another 12 months or so. She loves doing that shit, doesn't she? Just like, bang, here's my moment and I'm just going to disappear and do nothing for another six to 12 months because she's not really sure what else she should be doing at the moment, it feels like. Yeah, and here we are all talking about it. Yep. Yeah, giving it air, which we said we wouldn't do, so I guess we'll move on quickly. Other than that, <laughs> people were pretty pretty civil, I thought, over the first couple of weeks. I know people were saying like Dutton had the gloves off, but it wasn't too it wasn't too hectic. Like it wasn't full on Tony Abbott kind of into Gillard no, um early no. days. For, you know, a decade or so ago, no, it was no ditch the witch yeah, was happening yeah. this week. It was it was reasonably nice, which is kind of, yeah, as I said, kind of weird. You know, we've had a decade of people trying to politically assassinate each other, so it was kind of calm, kind of nice to get into. The speaker, who's the guy in charge of the lower house, house of reps, he he was getting a handle on things nice and early, kicked a few people out. So yeah, I think he's tried to set the tone that. They're going to try and keep it pretty civil. But, um, yeah, in terms of the work, like the classwork they're actually supposed to do, a little bit did get done, Les, didn't it? Yeah, so climate bill. Uh, Deputy Speaker, I'm really excited to be introducing this bill today and particularly to follow the Minister for Climate Change, uh, having just presented uh, some of uh, the broader climate change bills to the Parliament. It's set a minimum target of 43% by 2030 and net zero by 2050. And it also has a couple of new measures around transparency and accountability. But look, the reality is there's not a lot of meat to it. There's not a lot no. of surprises in it. We kind of knew that this is what was coming. The government can't actually pass the bill without the support from the Greens and Independent Senator David Pocock, who are calling for a climate trigger. And so to explain what that is, Sarah Hansen Young said that putting a climate trigger in law will force corporations to be honest about how much pollution their new projects and mines will create and force the minister to consider the climate impacts before giving any environmental approval. So essentially they want a few more stronger measures in place to stop corporations from polluting in the first place rather than kind of having to retroactively fix pollution they may cause from new yep. projects. Prevention track. Prevention is better than a cure, um, seems to be the methodology there. So, yeah, they're calling for improvements. The Teals also as well, but they don't actually have a lot of power. It's mainly in the Senate. But, yeah, the, the likes of Pocock and the Greens are calling for improvements to that. They're trying to strengthen it. The Labor Party has said previously that they'll adhere to sensible improvements, but they're not going to budge from their 43% target. So I don't really know, other than this climate trigger, what we may see, but I guess that's going to play out over the next few weeks. That's been introduced. They're working on it. There'll be updates to come in the, in the next few weeks and months, I think, Les. Yeah, that's it. It'll keep being chipped away at for sure. The other thing that has happened, though, is the federal government has introduced legislation to parliament that would give around 11 million workers, including casuals, access to 10 days paid domestic violence leave. Millions of part-time and casual workers trying to escape an abusive relationship will soon have access to 10 days of paid family and domestic violence leave. Unions have been calling for this for over a decade. And today, emotions ran high as the legislation was tabled in federal parliament. So this yep. is really significant. The idea is that if you have access to leave, you are more likely 
to seek help and potentially get out of a situation that you might be in. Yeah, and this was a big move that was kind of hailed all around the country from advocates, experts, support workers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Just generally, a lot of people just said this is a fantastic move. So yeah, 10 days paid domestic violence leave, that's been introduced. I I don't think there should be any issues with passing that. Biosecurity measures have also Mm. been introduced for foot and mouth disease, obviously, a fuckload of people who don't live in the city are very, very concerned. People in the city are also quite concerned as well, as much as some people may tell you otherwise. Foot and mouth disease, it's basically a disease that affects livestock. It hasn't been in Australia for 100 years. It's floating all around the country, places like China, Indonesia, obviously because a lot of our cattle does go to Indonesia and a lot of our tourists go to Bali. It's a huge concern that if it could get here, various estimates say different things, but safe estimates are tens of billions of dollars could basically be wiped out of the economy and Mm. obviously disproportionately affect farmers. Farmers stand to lose huge, huge, huge amounts of money if foot and mouth disease were to reach Australia and wreak havoc. So there's been various different calls about what to do. Uh, Murray Watt, the agricultural minister, has increased scanning. So 100% of all inbound parcels from Indonesia and China are to be scanned and checked. X-ray machines, detected dogs, all that sort of stuff. All inbound passengers from Indonesia also being checked too. They reckon that's enough at the moment. Peter Dutton, the opposition leader, he's called for the border with Indonesia to be closed. Which is a bit of a lull because he knows that they're not going to do that right now. And he knows that he probably wouldn't do that if he's in power either. He's just thrown that up there because, you know, hopefully some of the people, you know, in regional areas will go, oh, yeah, he's standing up for us and he's standing up for farmers. He wants the borders closed with barley, stop the tourists, et cetera, et cetera. But the National Farmers Federation and the Australian Meat Industry Council and the Cattle Council of Australia have all said, don't close the border. It's not necessary. Fiona Simpson, the president of the National Farmers Federation, said it would put at risk a trade that is very, very valuable. Now, she's talking, obviously, about the livestock trade. Australia's trading relationship with Indonesia is worth about $17 billion a year. Jakarta is one of the key markets, but obviously, it's it's a huge, huge trading partner of ours, and we don't want to go and start a fight with them by closing the borders and pissing them off. Um, they're reopening Bali and getting things going again. It's interesting that the opposition yeah. leader party that basically started a fight with our biggest trading partner in China is now calling for something that potentially would start a fight with another one of our huge trading partners and our huge northern neighbours. It also reminded me of the days of the uh, India border closure of the Delta variant, which was, you know, it was very controversial at the time because it was a little bit uh, targeted and disproportionate. So obviously this is something we don't want to happen at all, but at this stage... I think, leave the dog whistles out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay out of it, P-Dude. Let the experts like the National Farmers Federation and their Cattle Council of Australia, they can make the recommendations dealing with the chief vet and all that sort of stuff as well. Now, there has been an economic update from Jim Chalmers. He was speaking Wednesday or Thursday last week and he gave this quote, which fills me with confidence. He says, things are very difficult already for a lot of Australians. It will get more difficult before it gets better. Sweet. Mm -hmm. A bit of a cliche, but absolutely the reality. The Treasurer did point to clearer skies further out, saying inflation should peak at 7% before kind of flattening out and levelling out a little bit. And Australians would see a real wage increase hit their wallets before the end of the government's term in 2025, which feels like a long way away, to be honest. You know, when groceries went up 7% last month, which is uh, a record that's been broken, I think, since World War II. And 
so, you know, like getting a real wage increase by 2025 is maybe something that people want to happen a little bit more quickly, but it's a bit of a wait and see as to what the government's going to do about that in the immediate future. Yeah, I'm with you. 2025 seems like a fair long way away. I mean, maybe (laughs) I got the wrong impression from the Labor Party's campaign, but that seemed to be one of the things they were talking about making a change in. I know they're talking about real wage, you know, in comparison to everything else and what's actually going to make a substantial difference. You know, wages may go up, but it may not be a real wage given what's happening with inflation, et cetera, et cetera. But still, 2025, that's two and a half, three years away. They told us that they were going to be doing something a bit more. So that's that's an interesting one from Jim to just be like, ah, sorry, guys, it's pretty fucking tough out here. Uh, what can you do? Anyway. Yeah. And the other major talking point around the school block is the gas crisis. No, it's not come from the tuck shop. It is actually an energy <laughs> crisis happening around the country where we just don't have enough gas team there's not enough and most of it's because we're selling it to other yes countries and so the government has mentioned what they are going to do so Chalmers was out there again saying the findings are deeply concerning and I urge gas producers to do the right thing by Australians and the government hasn't ruled out stepping in and telling the producers to stop selling overseas but again it's a bit of a wait and see so will they call that early on before things get bad or will they kind of wait until a tipping point where they have to intervene Mm. um, and tell producers to limit their overseas exportation. Basically, because of the war in Ukraine, gas is really, really expensive and companies in Australia are leveraging that opportunity to sell to other countries overseas. To maximise their profits. And uh, interesting play, again, from Treasurer Jim Chalmers here. He's just going to ask these giant multinational energy companies who – Basically, their job is to make as much profit as possible, and they make as much profit as possible by selling gas in overseas markets and not to Australian consumers. Uh, it's interesting that yeah, he's just going to ask them to just just keep Australian yeah, consumers in mind. You know, you know, write a little note, send yep. a little letter. Mm. Um, that usually works well with these giant corporations just asking yep. nicely. And the reason people are calling for him to do something is because there is no gas crisis in Western Australia at the moment. Fifteen percent of their gas has to be quarantined for state use. Their prices haven't gone up. They're wondering what the fuck's going on on the East Coast and why everything's so weird over here. And that, coupled with the fact that we had a gas crisis a couple of months ago, I haven't opened my power bill from that last little bit. I'm too scared to do that. But we had that and we've seen what's happening in the West and we know that this is a chance of happening again in the next month or two. Maybe something other than some stern words and some polite requests from Jim Chalmers might be appropriate to make sure that Australian consumers who he is supposed to be representing don't get price gouged out the eyeballs. As we said, we'll see what happens. Uh, The ACCC is warning that this gas crisis is coming. So, Jim, if uh, it happens in a month or two, you have been warned. Come on, Jimbo. Come on, Jimbo. Get on top of it, mate. Now, the referendum that has been called for by Anthony Albanese, Les, it's a big moment in the nation's history. It's a really, really big moment. So Prime Minister Albanese addressed Gama Festival in Arnhem Land in a keynote speech earlier this week. Gama is a four-day celebration and education festival held every year. Alongside the PM were Indigenous Australians Minister Linda Burney and Senator Pat Dodson, as well as the newly appointed US Ambassador Caroline Kennedy. I believe there is room in Australian hearts for the statement from the heart. Australia does not have to choose between improving people's lives and amending the Constitution. 
We can do both and we have to. Albanese said, I believe there is a room in Australian hearts for the statement from the heart. We are seeking a momentous change, but it is also a very simple one. So just to explain, the Uluru Statement from the Heart was created by Indigenous leaders in 2017, calling for an amendment to the Australian Constitution that would formally recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So as the Constitution currently stands, they are not recognised. The only way to change the constitution in Australia is to hold a referendum. And we've only done a handful of these in the past. They're not something we do all the time. They cost a lot of money. They're a big deal. And so holding a referendum is a really big deal. The most recent thing we've done, you know, similarly was the plebiscite, but even that wasn't a referendum because it wasn't legally binding. This is legally binding. So when Albanese was elected, he started his acceptance speech on that night, on the election night, by declaring his government would follow through with their promise to follow the Uluru Statement from the heart. And he's now proposed a draft question for this referendum, which goes like this. Do you support an alteration to the Constitution that establishes an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? And so by voice, they mean a voice in Parliament, yep. a body that would advise on certain things in the parliament. Now, this question is only a draft, so it may or may not go through a couple of edits, and it also needs to be supported by the opposition who currently hold power in the Senate. So a referendum is likely on its way, but not immediately. It's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, potentially May 2023 or at the back end of 2023 they're talking about. And the wording of the question is really important because you need a majority and you need four or six states to uphold it. It's a yes, no question basically that people go to the booth and they go yes, no on. And it's just, yeah, it's really important to keep the question simple and to Make sure if you want people voting yes, that it's an easy way to vote yes. The classic example is the 1999 Republic referendum where people went to vote on a question to basically turn us into a republic. And the question, it's like I read it back and every time I read it back, I let out a little, <laughs> like I just a shake of the head and a giggle because it is just absurd. So this is a question that they were asked in 1999. To alter the constitution to establish the Commonwealth of Australia as a republic with the Queen and the Governor-General being replaced by a president appointed by a two-thirds majority of the members of the Commonwealth Parliament. You got that, Les? No. Nah. No, and that a lot of people didn't get it. and they voted, they voted no because they couldn't fucking <laughs> understand quite exactly what was being asked there and it wasn't explained very well so they voted no so that's why there's a simple question here from anthony albanese and obviously it'll be worked on and then there'll be changes to the constitution which will come from that it's a it's a really really big deal this is a really significant step that this new government is taking it is important to note that not all indigenous people are for the uluru statement of the heart because some are calling for a stronger focus on treaty and native title and fear that constitutional recognition could be a tokenistic move that doesn't actually change much on the ground. But on the other hand, others are saying um, they're hoping that constitutional recognition is the first step in many of the things that need to happen over time. So either way, none of this is straightforward. It's a little bit messy, but it is very clear that Prime Minister Albanese and the Labor government are keen to create a clear distinction from the former Liberal government, Turnbull and Morrison included, who did not commit to the statement or a treaty 
or even displayed the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags at press conferences. Yes, yeah, indeed, yeah. So, and, yeah, and the, the, as I said, there have been strong calls as well for treaty and truth-telling. Albanese says wants to get on top of the voice first and then will address treaty and truth-telling. So this seems to be the first step that they want to go for. The Liberal Party have said they're keeping an open mind, which to me seems like mm. we're not for it, but convince us and we may be swayed. It's an interesting one given Leader of the Opposition Peter Dutton walked out of the apology to the stolen generation. So obviously that was a while ago and he may have changed his mind since, which is great, but I was just a little bit concerned by the phrase keeping an open mind. Yeah, keeping an open mind kind of reminds me of when you're, you know, you're on the dating apps, you're in the early stages and someone's like, is this serious? Are we going steady? Are we exclusive? And mm. someone's like, look, I just I just want to keep my options yeah. open. I just, you know, that's a no. That's, yep. you know, yeah. it's it's a no for now anyway. Yeah. But so it, yeah, but instead it's of, not a yes. <laughs> yeah, but instead of exploring other possibilities, it's are we going to engage in the culture wars? Are we going to fire up Andrew Bolt yeah. and Miranda Devine and basically pretend that creating a voice to parliament, which would be a, basically a voice to parliament, talks to and works with on issues, are we going to try and make the impression that this is some overarching body that, you know, basically is going to come and steal family homes and take it away and kick out the Prime Minister and appoint a Prime Minister? Are we going to deal with, you know, Andrew Bolt and Miranda Devine kind of spitting up that shit in the culture wars? Which yeah, and look, crossed. their concerns are valid because, you know, ever since we've had marriage equality, people just keep marrying their dogs. So oh, I know. It's just, it's the slipperiest. The They're horses, <laughs> goats, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's a real... Yeah, that's why we're really concerned about foot and mouth, guys. Mm. That's... <laughs> It affects the relationship. It's just the really slipperiest of slopes. So that's basically where we're at. We got the draft questions. Um, we've got the draft amendments to the constitution that they're looking at uh, implementing, and it's now kind of balls in the opposition's court to see what happens there. There will be a lot of advertising spend if the referendum gets up. So leading up to the referendum, explaining what happens, what the question is, what you should do on voting day. And that's where we get that tricky part, similar to what happened with the plebiscite a few years ago, where we see if people try to stir up shit or if they try to go, this is a step forward, let's work on this without kind of delving into the culture wars and trying to create divisive narratives potentially. We'll see. We shall see. We but will see. Yeah, it seems it seems like a big step and it seems like a moment that we'll look back on and go, yeah, that was a significant moment in our history. All that remains to be seen, I guess. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. There's still plenty happening down in Canberra, as always, so we'll be back again soon to discuss what has been happening. Always love talking about this stuff with you, Les. Uh, we'll let you get back to it, hounding some politicians, trying to keep them honest. Thanks once again from dialing in from the Hotel Ibis down in one of those suburbs in Canberra. Yep, happy to be here. I've got some very good hotel art mm. to look at for a little while while I wait for school to get back in session. Enjoy the continental uh, breakfast they have down there. Quite lovely, I hear. Yep, croissants for days. <laughs> Thanks, Les. See ya.